Welcome to Walking by Faith, where we believe that God's relevance extends to every aspect of our lives. Our goal is to empower you with the tools you need to grow in your faith journey. And that's why you can access Pastor's Notes in a snap. Download our app today to follow along. Today, we're gonna dive into battlegrounds of spiritual warfare once again, and discover the grace that empowers righteous living. Temptation, a force Jesus himself faced, is met head on with the powerful weapon of God's word. In the midst of questioning the relevance of righteous living, we unveil the truth. Grace is not a license for sin, but our guide steering us away from worldly temptations. Get ready to understand the dynamics of victory, grace, and the ongoing salvation of our minds in today's message, The Sword of the Spirit. Hey, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. And it's always a great privilege to get to share from you with you from the Word of God. Now today, I want to talk to you about something that every single Christian faces, and that is temptation. I remember when I became a Christian, I was 20 years old, and I thought, I'm just going to follow God with all my heart, and I'm going to be so spiritual that I will never get tempted again. Well, I just want to let you know that there is no such place. When Satan tempts Jesus, this is how it, it, it ends. It says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. Uh, even Jesus, the devil left for a while, but he said, I'm coming back again. See, temptation is not just an event, is, is not simply an event. It is something that we go through throughout our entire life. It is a, it's not just a battle. I would say it, it's a war. I remember years ago, a man came up and, and asked me to pray for him and said, pray for me that I will never be tempted again. And, and I simply said to him, but I, to, I would have to pray that you die because you're going to have temptation as long as you're alive. The reason for that is found in Romans 7 in verse 23, where it says, the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, in the physical body, there is the law of sin. There is this inclination towards sin. And as long as you're in a physical body, you're going to be faced with temptation. It's part of the Christian life. Resisting the devil, right? The Bible tells us, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be strong, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse nine, resist him steadfast in the faith. And one of the greatest keys to resisting the devil we find again in Jesus' life. It says that Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let me just say this, God is not afraid of the devil. And you and I should not be afraid of the devil or afraid of his temptations. It says when he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. And when the tempter came, notice this is one of Satan's names. He is called the tempter. He comes and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The way that Jesus faced temptation Face the devil was with the word of God. It's interesting in Galatians that it's called the sword of the spirit. It is our offensive weapon. Every other weapon that we have really is defensive. But the sword of the spirit, right? It's the word of God. It's the rhema of God. That's the Greek word, rhema. And it's the word that's alive on the inside of you. 
the one that's been revealed. When Satan came, Jesus didn't begin quoting Genesis 1-1 and say, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. No, he took a scripture that was appropriate to the situation, that was alive on the inside of him, and he spoke that word. Three times, in, Ma in Matthew chapter 4, it mentions Jesus comes and tempts, excuse me, Satan comes and tempts Jesus. Every single time Jesus did the same thing. He said, it's written, it's written, it's written. So you and I, we need to get God's word in our heart. And when temptation comes, we need to use that word. Now, to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to receive the word of God as God speaking to us. This is the will of God. This is God's word. This is God speaking to us. It's not what some man wrote that was seeking God. This is God breathed, the Bible says. God spoke through these people. This is God speaking to us. And as believers, that's how we have to receive this word. We need to be a disciple of Jesus. We need to receive the Bible as God speaking to us, that it is God's word and it is alive and it is powerful. Right? When we speak that word, when temptation comes, the, the devil loses. He loses every single time. Now, I know there's people who just feel like, well, does it really matter? Does it matter if I sin? You know, there's God's grace is there. God's grace is there. And there is forgiveness. But listen to this. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny, denying ungodly and worldly lusts. Notice what grace does. It teaches us to deny ungodly and worldly lusts. One translation says it this way. It teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly desires. God's grace is not, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. No, God's grace empowers us. And God's grace teaches us to say no when temptation comes, to say no to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. And for us to live the life that God wants us to live, that victorious life, we've got to say no. There's an old song that says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. I think the most miserable people on the world, on, on planet Earth, really, are people that are Christians, but they're not saying no. They're not resisting the devil. It's when we resist the devil that that grace of God is working through us. Again, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, who does he devour? Well, he devours ignorant people. He devours people that cooperate with him. And he devours passive people, people that do not resist him. And it's so interesting to me because I was brought up in church, although it's never seemed to penetrate, but I was brought up in church, and we lived as if the devil did not even exist. We just thought everything that happens, it's the will of God. This is what God has for us. God's sending us cancer. God's sending divorce. God's sending an accident. God doing all these things. But the Bible tells us to resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. James chapter, chapter 4. So, when we resist the devil, it's not just resisting temptation. It's also resisting all the works that he brings. And you say, what does he bring? Well, Jesus explained it very well in John chapter 10 in verse 10, where he said this. He said, the thief, the devil, 
does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And really, this verse is like the great divide. The things that kill, steal, and destroy, those do not come from God. That is not a part of the kingdom of God. But the things that bring life, bring life abundantly, those are the things that are a part of the kingdom of God. And as a believer, we cannot have this loke sera sera attitude. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. We do not have that attitude as believers. Now, a, a demon may tempt you, all right, but they don't make you sin. The, when, when Jesus comes to the area of the Gadarenes, Right? sometimes called the Decapolis, this 10-city region. There is a demon-possessed man whom the Bible tells us had a legion of demons. Now, that's at least 6,000 demons. And when that man sees Jesus, uh, every demon was saying, go, run, run, run. But that man ran, fell at Jesus' feet, and worshiped him. And Jesus set him free. Somehow, that man knew, if I can get to Jesus... There is help for me. There's deliverance for me. There's freedom for me. There's victory for me. You see, all the demons in hell could not make him go the other way. The devil cannot make you do anything. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. No, the devil can't make you do it. You have to surrender your will to the devil. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in the last verse. And it says, it talks about praying for people that they may escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, that's Satan, to do his will. See, when you're doing his will, it's because your will has become passive. You're just going with the flow, right? You're not resisting the enemy. Uh, James said it this way. He said, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and, enti and enticed. And when desire is conceived, it, gives, it, bring, or excuse me, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So what we need to do is we need to crucify the flesh. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says, May the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're a trichotomy. You are three parts, spirit, soul, body. I think it's interesting, most of the time when people quote this, they go body, soul, spirit. But it's spirit, soul, body. The spirit is the real person that you are. Your soul is your mind. And your body is the house that you live in. You are that real spirit. Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. He talks about Lazarus. He says, and Lazarus died and the angels carried him. Lazarus was a poor man. They took his body. They put it in a pauper's tomb but angels carried him. You see, someday, if Jesus tarries, your body, my body, they're gonna wear out. They're gonna die. And the real you that lives on the inside of that body is gonna step out, right? That's the spirit. And angels are gonna carry you, either into God's presence or into a place separated from God. But you're gonna be carried. Now, they took his body, they put it in a tomb, but angels carried him. 
because you're not your body. Your body is the house that you live in, but you are the spirit. You have a soul or a mind and you live inside of that body. That's how we have to think as believers. So the Bible says, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual worship. Most people don't think of it like this. They think, well, I'm worshiping God when I go to church and I sing, or I, I lift my hands, I'm worshiping God. But the Bible tells us that when we present our body to God and we say no to sin, that's worship. And it calls it spiritual worship. Now notice it says you present your bodies a living sacrifice. <clears throat> you are a spirit, you have a soul or a mind, you live inside of a body. Romans 7.23, the law of sin abides in your members or in your body. Your body does not get saved when you become a Christian. Your spirit gets saved. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this, if anyone is in Christ, you're in union with Christ, you're a Christian, anyone's in Christ, you are a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, when you become a Christian, what becomes new? Well, your spirit becomes new. That's the part. You see, if, if you're bald before you get saved, you're still bald after you get saved. If you're fat before you get saved, you're still fat, right? It's not your body that changed. And it's not your mind that became new. You understood math, you understood trigonometry, whatever it is that you understood with your mind before, it's still there. In fact, uh, you, your mind has been affected by the culture that's around you and by your family. It's not your mind that becomes new. Your mind still can think all of the same thoughts, but your spirit, your spirit is new. That's why it says over in 1 John that who's ever born of God does not sin because his seed, his nature abides in him. Where is that? It's here in your spirit. I remember when I got saved, right? Uh, before I was, I was 20 years old. Uh, before I was saved, I did not want to go to church. I did not want to read the Bible. I did not want to be around Christians, right? I become a Christian and all of a sudden, I want to read the Bible. I want to go to church. I want to worship God. I want to hang out with Christians. I want to pray. What happened? I became new. In fact, the truth is when you become a Christian, you become ruined for sinning because your spirit is never going to agree. Your flesh may want to sin and you may go and you may, you, you may slip and you may fall, but inside in your heart, your heart is never going to agree with it because you're a new creation in Christ. You've got God's seed. You have God's nature on the inside of you. That's the part of you that became new. So literally, your spirit was saved. The moment you received Jesus, your spirit is saved. Then your mind is in a process of being saved. And your body, well, you need to present your body to God. You need to take, in fact, one translation says, says to present every member of your body to God. You need to say, God, I give you my hands. I give you my eyes. I give you my feet. I give you every part of my body, right? And you dedicate your body to God. 
Um, and, and it's not something you just do one time. It's something that we need to do again and again. And honestly, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are the key verses to living a victorious Christian life. And the first part of it says you need to do something with your body. When you became a Christian, God did something with your spirit. Your spirit is born again. Your spirit is new. You are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. God puts his love, it's shed abroad in your heart, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. But everything God does when you become a Christian is in your spirit. But then God wants you to do something with your body. Right? He says, your spirit needs to take dominion over your body. You can't let your body run your life because your body's crazy. When, when there's a piece of cake, when there's a cake and I eat one piece, you know what my body wants? It wants another piece and then another piece. You know what I need to tell my body? No. You just need to tell your body no. Why? Because you present your body to God and you say, God, I give you every part of my body to serve you, to love you, to be a part of your kingdom, I present my body to you. And I'm not going to let my body run my life. I'm gonna tell my body what to do. My body is not gonna tell me what to do. And most people, their body is telling them what to do. So you do something with your body because God did something with your spirit, right? And your spirit is supposed to have dominion over your body. But then it's really, I think this is just super, super interesting that the next verse, the 12th verse, first verse of Romans 12 tells us what to do with our body. We present it to God. We don't let it run our life. Then it says, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Other translations say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But what the renewing of your mind means is change the way you think. So really what the Bible is to do is to show us how to think because the, our culture, our family uh, have inundated our minds. And God says, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, right? So what we need to do is change the way we think. The world says somebody slaps you, the world says slap them back. But what does Jesus say? He says, turn the other cheek and pray for them and do them good. We need to change the way that we think. In Psalm 119 and verse 28, David said this. He said, I consider your precepts or your word concerning all things to be right. So when you read the Bible and you read what God says about marriage, God's right. And if you disagree, you're wrong. When you read the Bible and you find what God says about money, God's right. And if we disagree, we're wrong. And when we read the Bible and we find out what God says about how to raise children, God's right. And if we disagree, we're wrong. So what the Bible is saying here is this. We need to not be like the world, not like our culture, and maybe even not like our family. But let God change the way that you think. How does he do it? With the Bible. One of the main purposes of the Bible is to change the way that we think. And it says, then you will know how to do everything that's good and pleasing to God. Other translations say, then you'll know what the will of God is. You know, so often people come and they say, I, I just don't know what God wants me to do. You know why? It's because you haven't renewed your mind. 
When your mind is renewed, when you change the way that you think with the word of God, then we know what God wants us to do. So when you become a Christian, you become new on the inside in your spirit. And God's life is there. God's love has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You, you want to do the will of God in your, in your heart. But your, your body is not saved. Your body will be saved when Jesus returns. But until then, until the fact the Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him. It says this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when Jesus returns, we get a body where the law of sin is not there. We get a body like Jesus' body. So your body is not saved, but it will be saved when Jesus comes. Your mind, you're renewing it. You're changing the way that you think. So your mind is in a process of being saved, and your spirit is saved. So you were saved, you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. Your spirit was saved, your mind is being saved, and your body will be saved when Jesus returns. So it's interesting that when Jesus came, this was his message, repent. Literally, change the way you think. For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. God's kingdom is here. It's available. It's for you. It's now. But he said, repent. And repenting really means to change the way that you think, but to such a degree that it changes what you do. So you repent. You're, you're moving in this direction. You repent. You change. And you turn around and you start to go in a different direction. Now, what so many people try to do to have victory over temptation is they're just like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, you will not have victory with just willpower. But, but Galatians chapter 5 and 16 says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You don't have victory by what you're not going to do. Right? You have victory by what you're going to do. In other words, you need to be saying, not I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. No, you need to have goals in the Spirit. You need to say, I'm following God. I am going to grow in the Spirit. I'm going to memorize Scripture. I'm going to get involved in my church. I am going to read my Bible from cover to cover this year. You walk in the Spirit. You have goals in the spirit realm. There's things that you're pursuing in the spirit. I am going to do the will of God. I'm going to learn how to flow in the gifts of the spirit. You see, you have things in the spirit that you're pursuing. It's not, I'm not going to do this. It's, I'm going to do this. I'm following God with all of my heart. Don't think with just willpower that you're going to get victory. It's not just willpower. It's also having a goal that you're moving towards in the spirit. Now, uh, because of time, this is the last thing I want to I mention. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. That's what it says. It says, but I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. At least when I preach to others, I myself could become disqualified. Now, notice what he says. I discipline my body. I bring it. Paul calls his body it. Again, you are not your body. Your body is the house that you live in. And he calls his body it. And he says, I, the spirit, 
He said, I discipline my body. I don't let my body run my life. Again, most people, their body tells them, hey, this is when I want to, this is, I want a vacation. I want a Coke. I want this. I want that. And their body runs their life. Paul says, you can't do that. He says, I discipline my body. I don't let my body tell me what's going to happen. I tell my body what's going to happen. And he says, I bring it into subjection. He says, if I didn't do this, he said, my body would run my life and I could be disqualified for doing the things that I'm doing in the kingdom of God. So how do you discipline your body? It's through fasting. Now, right? Now, now fasting is abstaining from food for a period of time to pursue spiritual things. But here's what's really happening when you fast. And, and let me say this. Um, fasting does not change God. God's the same before you fast, while you fast, after you fast. But fasting changes you because our bodies so much, they run our life. But you tell your body, you're not going to eat today. But I'm telling you, your body's used to breakfast by nine o'clock. It's going to tell you you're going to die. You're going to die. But instead of eating, you read your Bible. You pray. You, you, you get some worship music on it and you worship God. And what's happening is this, your spirit is taking dominion over your body. It's rising up and, and it's taking its place of authority over your body and saying, no, you're not going to run our life. Now, you can fast for a meal. Uh, if you look in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 58, the entire chapter practically is about fasting. And it's called the day that I've chosen. Now, you may not be able to fast a day the first time you try. But it's supposed to be a 24-hour period. Typically, what would happen would be this. At, they would have a meal at, say, 6 o'clock in the evening. And then for the next 24 hours, they would only drink water. And then after that same time in the evening, they would have another meal. So they would be fasting 24 hours. That's the normal fast. In fact, the Bible says the day. The day. It's almost, except when God does something special or puts something special on your heart, it's a day. It's just a day where you seek God instead of eating. You put, you, you let your spirit dominate your life. And what happens is your spirit rises up and your flesh becomes weaker and your spirit takes this place of dominion over your flesh. Well, that you, you do that for 24 hours. And your body has been in submission. And there is always a residual. What happens is you carry that dominion with you afterwards. It isn't something, well, you just happened for 24 hours. No, 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 no. It, it continues. Now, you see, people think, well, I'll just grow out of something. I, I may have this problem, but I'm going to grow out of it. In Ephesians 4, verse 22, it says this that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt. The old man grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. You see, uh, you, you may have even heard the expression, you know, dirty old man. Well, the truth is when sin is not dealt with, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. The Bible says it grows corrupt. It doesn't just go away. But what we do is we resist temptation with the word of God. And we take time and we, we prioritize seeking God. And Paul said to fast, right? In fact, Jesus said this. He, he, he said, when I'm gone, he said, 
my disciples will fast. In fact, Jesus said, when you fast, don't do this and do this. It's something that Jesus expected Christians to do. And it's interesting to me how nowadays so few Christians have this discipline in their life to skip a meal or two or a day and just drink water, seek God. Now, if you have health issues, you should, of course, consult a physician. But for most of us, this is not going to hurt us. This is actually going to help us physically but it's really going to help us spiritually. Notice that Paul said, I could become disqualified. How? By letting my flesh run my body. As Christians, we have God's life, God's nature. We are new creations in Christ. And his love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Inside, you are new. You are in the image, the, na the, the, way, the nature of God is on the inside of you. And what we need to do is we need to let that nature dominate our lives. Feed that nature. Feed that. How, does it, how do we do it? Well, Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Keep feeding your spirit the word of God. Resist the devil, the things that he brings, in, those things that kill, steal, and destroy. And take the time to discipline your body, like Paul said. Bring it into subjection, because there is victory for every one of us. There are people in every spiritual condition. Some of you, you've lived for God all your life. Others, you're away from God. At one time, you lived for the Lord, but you've drifted away. In others, if I'd say, are you a Christian? You'd say, well, I, I'm trying to be. I hope I am. Listen, the Bible says, we've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. You're not supposed to find out if you're right with God when you die. You're supposed to know that you're, you're saved, that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven. And if you're away from God or you don't know where you stand with God today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Romans 10, 13, whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. The Bible says, will be saved. If you will pray this prayer from your heart and mean this, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So you bow your head, pray this prayer out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. And I believe that his blood paid for my sin. And I believe that he rose again victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my king, as my Lord, and I am going to live for him. And I thank you, you've heard my prayer, that I'm forgiven, that I'm right with God, a part of your kingdom. Today, and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you really are right with God. You're forgiven. You're a part of his kingdom. I wrote a book. I want to get you this book absolutely free of charge. All you need to do is contact us. The information is right there on your screen. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, congratulations. You're on the path to one of the best decisions of your life. Need more info? Our team at walkingbyfaith.tv is ready to answer any questions that you might have. Let's journey this together. Get a complimentary copy of Pastor's book, Your New Life, just as he had mentioned. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv to have it mailed, download it instantly, or listen to the audiobook. Find all these options on our app too. Packed with practical advice, it's your guide to living a life full of faith.
Claim your copy today. Join the movement at Walking by Faith and be a catalyst for change. Your contribution fuels the creation of empowering content, transforming minds, and amplifying voices. When you invest in God's kingdom, blessings pour out. Malachi 3.10 promises that. Giving is a breeze as well. Text WBF Give to 1-888-364-GIVE. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv slash give or click the giving icon in our app. Thanks for standing with us. Together, we're making an impact. Need prayer or want to connect with us? Simply scan this QR code to send a prayer request, download our app, read our weekly devotional, and so much more. You can also catch today's episode with closed captions on Rumble. Our prayer is that you renew, resist, and rejoice in the victory secured for us by the power of Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful week.